Hey everyone, I'm Gracie and welcome back to the Graceful Military Child podcast. The world should know how unique military children are. We may look like normal children on the outside, but we go through some pretty extraordinary circumstances that shape us to the leaders we are today. I am super excited to continue on with our No Greater Sacrifice series, sharing the stories of military children whose loved ones were critically wounded or fallen in action. I hope you find inspiration from these scholars that just because a traumatic situation may happen, you are still able to achieve your hopes and dreams. Hi, Morgan. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Yes, I'm super excited to have you on and to hear about your story. Thank you. Um, yeah, my story is, um, it feels like it hasn't been, you know, it feels like my whole life has been like this, but in reality, like, you know, it happened when we were little. So it's weird still trying to find, you know, that mix um, of how to. I'm so sorry. I'm like, in my brain, I'm like melting right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I need to calm down. Good. It's okay. It's your story. Yeah, right. Okay. Something to be proud right, of right, too. Right, right, right. Okay. So tell me about your dad who served and what branch and what he did and things like that. Okay. So my dad was in the army. Um, he was special forces. He was the 18 Delta on the team, which means he was a combat medic. Um, so that plays an extremely important part in my story, because when you have an SF team, um, you only have one combat medic. So when the medic, you know, gets hurt, who saves the medic? Right. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Um, so I was eight years old, um, when my dad stepped on a IED, they were two 16 millimeter mortars. So they were pretty big. They were supposed to kill anything within like a hundred yards of it. So, um, that happened when I was eight. And when I found out I was home alone with my older brother. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) right, right, right. Um, I was, it was like a Friday night. It was like the perfect night. Like everything's going great. My uncle, my dad's brother is coming home from Afghanistan this night, just got back from deployment. My little brother's at a birthday party. Things are going great. My brother's having band practice. And then we get a knock on the door. And obviously, because I'm eight, I can't go answer the door right. by myself. So my brother's like, check the windows first, check the windows. And I go look outside and there's, you know, these white SUVs lined up outside. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? Um, Why are these people here? And then we open the door and it's um, my dad's chief. And I instantly recognize them because it's like, oh, wait, this guy works with my dad, but why is he here? You know? Yeah. Um, my dad's away, but he's here. So like, obviously you start putting two and two together, even as young as eight, like, you know, you just kind of start to be like, oh, I think I know what's Well, happening. and you see like TV shows and movies and things like right, that where right. you can kind of put it together. Right, right. And I don't know if I had seen any like, oh, well, you know what? Have you ever seen like Carrie Underwood's music video where they come and they knock on the door? That's all. That's the only thing I had to compare to. Right. I mean, at that age. So I was like, oh, no, something really bad is like about to happen. So then my older brother knew instantly. Yeah. He was like, Morgan, you need to go upstairs and 
I'll tell you when you can come down or I'll come up there. And I'm like, okay. And I go up there and he um, comes up and he's crying. And I'm like, oh no, I've never seen my older brother cry. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, oh, something's wrong. And I was like, is, is mommy okay? And he's like, mom, mom is completely okay. Mom's fine. And I was like, is daddy okay? He's like, dad is going to be okay. And I was like, that's a different response. Right. <laughs> right. So it was like, okay, something happened and you need to like, I don't know. It was almost the moment where it was like, you need to mature. I feel like we had to mature like, yes, like that. You know what I mean? Um, because there was no time to mess around. You know what I mean? So, um, my mom was at home. So then we have to call my mom up and my mom thinks it's a prank call. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, from my brother's friend. And she's like, I swear if this isn't a break, oh, I'm going to be like, you know, yeah. she's like, oh, you know what I mean? She's like, this isn't funny. And then, you know, she's like, no, like it's chief. Like you need to come home. And then I just remember papers like all over my dining table, like just documents, like, cause they thought, you know, they didn't think he was going to live. Right. So we were preparing, preparing. And, um, I was so young. I, Nobody was really talking to me, you know what I mean? Right, because they were trying to shelter you from the the chaos that was going on. Yeah, I'm there and I see everything that's going on, but nobody's talking to me. So I'm like, can you know, like, uh, I don't know. It was just, it was overwhelming. And then the next day we moved um, to Walter Reed the next morning um, from North Carolina. I live in North Carolina. So we went from Fort Bragg to basically Washington, D.C. Um, Next day, just left everything at home. Didn't come back to North Carolina for like two years. And um, we didn't see my dad for maybe two weeks, maybe a week and a half after, because he was put into Germany. Like your dad, I listened to. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it seems like they always put the guys into Germany first before they transfer them over. And, right. And, um, yeah, for a long time, we couldn't see him because there was something with the plane. Oh, well, there was mice found on the plane. Oh, well, we have to make sure there's no infection. Oh, the weather's bad. But they weren't letting my mom go see him. So we just had to kind of wait that out. And um then when he came back, I just remember being afraid that he was going to think that I was going to think of him differently. You know what I mean? And um, it was so surreal um, walking into the room the first time and seeing him because you're like, okay, what am I preparing myself for? What am I going to see? Yeah, like you're eight years old. Yeah. You don't know what's going on. And, you know you look in and your dad's like obviously missing oh well I didn't say he's missing <laughs> he's, he's got a triple amputee okay. so um he's missing his up to his femur on his left like it's all the way up and then or that might be on his right but all the way up on one side and then it's like half up on uh, the thigh on the other and then his dominant hand um so when you walk in and you're like and you expect him to be in a straw, but then he looks at you and he's just smiling at you. Yeah. I was like, Bro. <laughs> I was like, dude, this dude is strong. Like, yeah. These men who do this, I it it blows my mind how they wake up and they do it every day, honestly. Yeah. Um, especially with the statistic, you know? Right. Of like how they take their lives and everything. So it's um it's really special to 
see um, all these amputees because obviously you're in that community, you see them all the time. Yeah. And you just see them going out there and like, whether it's like cycling, I don't know if your dad cycles, a lot of guys will be hand cycling or just going out doing triathlons and like doing all these things with their disabilities. It's like, wow, I couldn't even do that with all four of my limbs. Right. It's inspiring. (laughs) Right. No, it really is. It really is. And the, for, to see them go through that and have to wake up every day and go through, you know, those little things, like just waking up and not being able to go to the stand up to go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? Like something like that. Like it, it reminds you to check your, you know, blessings, basically, you know what I mean? Like, don't take the little moments for granted. Right. Right. If they can get up and they can go throughout their day, you can too. Exactly. (laughs) And it may be hard, but you can, you know. Did you know of his injuries before you saw him or did you kind of just walk in blind? I knew it was something with his legs. Yeah. I, 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 Honestly, when they first came to the house and they were talking about his injuries, all we, we knew the legs were like, you know, done. Um, but that's all we, I didn't know about his hand. I don't think. Yeah. I don't think I knew about Um, so yeah, I mean, but it was weird because even from the first time I saw him, because he's my dad, it became like normal yeah it's like a new normal for sure as soon as you walk in to that room you're like okay this is reality this is what I'm facing now this is what right you know it's probably going to be a struggle on down the road but this is this is what we have to go through now right right like we don't have time to sit here and contemplate like your brain you're you know you're just trying to catch up and like make sure that everything is okay and your brain's trying to protect you so it's like immediately like okay let's go this is normal and right we're just gonna move on you know um but for a lot of other people um who don't understand the situation and other kids yes. and other families it's not so you know easy for them to look or easy for them to see and that was a part that really bothered me when I was younger especially the first year just going out in public and having people stare like he was, you know, not normal. Right. Oh my gosh. Right. It was just like, I, there was an, a lot of um, kids, even throughout like elementary and middle school, which is like make comments, you know what I mean? Like, dude, I don't, I, th- there's some stuff like I could not believe that kids would say or do those things, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's like, wow, you would really hope that parents would teach their kids you know, ahead of time, like, Hey, by the way, if you ever run into, you know, there are people who may not look like you. Right. 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 Because that is honestly, I know. And I know my dad struggles with it too. And I don't know if your dad struggles with like people staring and things like that, but I know it takes a toll on their mental health, even though they're like these, you know, soldiers who have this like alpha, you know, I can take care of myself. Nothing bothers me. You know what I mean? Things like that really do, you know, whether we think it, think they do or not, they, they can get to them, you know? Yeah. And it's hard, especially like a lot of kids, like this is where it gets to us is a lot of kids are so curious that they just want to know and that the parents aren't conveying to them, like what actually 
happens and what goes on. And, you know, we're walking through the store and some little kid, you know, maybe five years old, somewhere around there goes, look, that guy has a robot leg. And, you know, we think it's the coolest thing ever. Like, you know, and we're like, that kid is so curious. But then the parents are like, shit, like shooing them away, like going to another aisle. And we're like, no, this is something that they're curious about. This is something that, you know, they have to. Right. Like, don't make it seem like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, don't look at him. Right. You know what I mean? Like, although there's like a respectful way to do it. Like, you can't just have your child straight up stare at somebody for, you know, 10 minutes while right. they're in the grocery store. It's like looking at their injuries the entire time. But don't, you know, if they ask like, oh, you know, like that guy's a robot leg. Like, I'm sure my dad at least I know my father has always been happy to talk to like little kids. Exactly. And they just want to know that's all they want to do. And, you know, little kids are curious to begin with. So when they see something out of the ordinary, they're like, we want to know what this is. We want to know why, you know, that person doesn't have a leg and I have a leg. And how did he get a robot? Like, like I want a robot, like, you know, things like that. (laughs) Right, right, right. What does your dad say um, to kids like questions? Well, does he have like a friend? He so we joke a lot in our family. (laughs) And so um, I will never forget the one time we were in Costco and this little kid was sitting in the cart and um, I think it was a little girl and she was like, how'd you lose your leg? And my dad looked at her and was like, well, I didn't eat my vegetables. So my mom cut my leg off. My dad has said that same thing. (laughs) (laughs) She was terrified. She ran or no, she wasn't. She was walking and she ran up to her mom and she was like, I want to eat vegetables for dinner. I want to eat vegetables for dinner. And um, we came across that family um, as we were checking out or something. And the mom looked at us and was like, thank you. but not eating vegetables, not cleaning his room, um, not doing has his homework. My dad has said like shark attack <laughs> <laughs> or like alligator fight. Like, <laughs> um, oh, one time, <laughs> one time a little kid came up to him and asked him, he's like, how did you lose your leg? And he was like, I asked a guy who lost his legs how he lost his leg. <laughs> And just mess with him. But then he's like, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes he refers to if he actually, if he thinks the kid is old enough to understand, um, he'll just be like, I stepped on a booby trap because when they're younger like that, you can't necessarily be like, I stepped on a bomb. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're going to be like, I don't understand. Right. Um, like, and then more questions and right, exactly. Right, right. And then you don't necessarily want to get into, you know, the war conversation with the child. Right. So it, it's interesting seeing them like dodge that bullet. Yes. <laughs> questions when it comes to kids, but yeah, yeah. And kids are just like, they just want to know. And that's again, circling back to the parents, not telling them and like, right it's the simplest thing of sitting down with a child and having a conversation of, you know, there are bad guys and there's good guys out there. And the good guys are, you know, helping to save, Mm -hmm. um, or to stop the bad guys from this war. And some people get hurt along the way, or, you know, some people even die along the way. And so that's, 
you know, it just takes like two seconds to have that conversation. And then when someone sees someone like that, then it might not be as much of a shocker as right. it can be. Or you could just like look at them and be like, remember when we had that conversation? This is somebody who got hurt. You know what I mean? And then they're like, oh, okay. And that's the same thing we say, because my dad has a service dog. And, you know, he's a little tiny, like seven pound dog, but like he does a lot. Um, But most of the time kids just, and even adults, they like stare at the dog and we're like, move along. Like he's working. And that's another problem is they come by and they just start petting him or they try to like get in his face. And we're like, you can't do that to a service dog. Like what happened to people teaching their kids, um, even like a personal bubble of, right. you know, staying outside of the dog's That's bubble before, you know, what I mean? right. We right. grew up and it was, you have to first ask the owner if you can touch right. the dog, pet the dog. <laughs> and second, you right. let the dog sniff your hand before you pet the dog. And if the dog like shies away, you don't touch the dog. Like, you know, simple things like that is what kids now don't really grow up learning. Right, right, right. Yeah. The service dog issue is like, we have, okay, so my dad does hand cycling, you know, so um, I go with him to Boston Marathon, New York Marathon and stuff like that. And they obviously have the Achilles team, which is filled with like wounded warrior or not wounded, right. wounded vets, you know, who have amputations and like half of them have service dogs. And every time we go out somewhere, like these guys cannot get around without somebody stopping them and trying to pet their dog. Exactly. This is an inconvenience, but then it's hard because like, I understand it's a cute dog, but like they obviously are wearing a service vest. And it says, do not pet. Do not touch. (laughs) Exactly. We go to Disney all the time. Like we live in Florida. So we're like three hours away and we go all the time. And, you know, I get it that there's a lot of international people there too. And so it can be a difference in culture, but a lot of people don't even look at his best, even in public when we're, we can't take our dog out as much as we would like to, because he's gotten snapped at before by other dogs, like at farmer's markets, like other dogs lunge at him when he's just like minding his own business, doing what he's supposed to be doing. And some people question him because there's a lot of, I guess, controversy in the service dog world where it's like, is that dog really a service dog? Is that dog really a service dog? And so we get questioned, like he's wearing a vest. It says service dog. It says do not pet. And we're like, is he really a service dog? Yes, he is like, really a does service my dog. Father really have an injury? Yes. That's the question. Like, and my dog doesn't hide it. Like, he doesn't wear pants or anything because that's right. an inconvenience. And so it's like he's missing a leg. His other leg is like torn up. So it's right. like kind of context here. Like, right, he right, really right. needs a service dog. This is really his service dog. Right. Like when people can't put two and two together, it's like. Exactly. And we like where we live, so many people just bring their dogs into the stores in little like doggy strollers or shopping carts or whatever. And it's like, right. okay, you're you didn't question that dog that just walked through, right. but you're questioning our dog right. that's actually not in a cart, not in a stroller and walking around. 
right like doing stuff because exactly he's a <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh yeah, yeah it's such it's such a weird situation where it's like we shouldn't have to you know stand up for you know our our dog but we have right. to right and it's not only like but there's so many different things that our dads go through where I feel like people it's it's little things like that you know what I mean yes like I know in the um, this is gonna sound stupid but even in like the when my dad's hand cycling you know what I mean all those guys who don't have limbs you know they hand cycle because they can't do the push rim if they don't have another arm right you know what I mean? Cause it's just hard. So their only way to get on the bike is to do a hand cycle. And people have even told them like people who are ahead of like certain organizations for like marathons and stuff. They're like, you're not actually like, this is not, you have gears. So you can't be considered an athlete like the push rims. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, you're, you're not an actual athlete, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, what? Like, I don't understand. There's just a whole bunch of different little things where it's like, if I was my dad, I would, I just, I would be so fed up. I'd be so fed up. But like I said, they continue to just can fight against the adversity. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I don't know. It's really inspiring, honestly. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, situations that as normal, like, you know, non-military people, they don't have to deal with like people with, with no disabilities. They're like, okay, like we can just live our life like everyone else's. And then even as a child, like going into these places, it's like, okay, well, is there a ramp to get into this building? Like right. if he's in his wheelchair or um, is wide enough, is the doorway wide enough? Is there an elevator instead of the stairs? Like you look at those yeah, little things. Right. Like, can he even get into the bathtub? Like, is right. There, right. Like all these, you know, people don't, um, it's interesting because when people come with me and my family on like family vacations or I have friends that come with me, they're always like, I didn't realize how much like you guys actually have to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like all the little things that you guys go around, but it's just kind of normal to us now. So we don't really realize it, but like, even if it's something like having to me and my mom, having to carry the wheelchair out of the back of the van, you know what I mean? When we're not in the accessible car, you know, and it's, it's like little and like having to, you know, make sure that he doesn't fall out, like coming into the wheelchair, like holding the wheelchair there, even if the locks has happened, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of those little things where people are like, I would never know. And it's like, yeah, well, we forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just becomes that that normalcy. Like when we're looking for hotels, we automatically uh, select accessible rooms like because it's going to be harder because there's less room or, you know, the bathroom's smaller. Like there's so many things that you don't think about that you're going to have to, you know, get used to when you're not living with someone with a disability. Right. And then once that situation happens, you're thinking about every sing single little thing. And I know my mom does it more than me because, you know, I don't think about that as much, right. but it's like, you have to take every little thing into consideration. Right. Right. And I think, 
that is also it kind of just goes in i know a lot of the military dudes have that mindset already of like every little thing has to be right you know yes so then i think it really causes this issue um where they already feel like everything has to be perfect you know what I mean and then if they're going throughout their day and something wasn't perfect to where it messes up because of their disability you know what I mean or something goes wrong like say my dad's rolling and simply like his wallet falls out of his wheelchair you know what I mean and now he has to bend down to pick it up off of the ground you know, right. Like something like that, just because it's like, oh, I will, I should have had it in my backpack. I feel like that really gets to them like perfectionism, you know what I mean? And also the idea that I don't know what your dad did in the military, but I know my dad, um, he's a perfectionist because if you aren't perfect, then the mission doesn't work. You know what right. I mean? Right. And that's like, what they teach right. special forces guys exactly. for sure. So then they're just like programmed to think like everything has to be perfect. And if not, then something's going to go wrong. And I know my dad also feels that way because that's kind of what happened with his injury. You know what I mean? In his situation, he took a wrong turn, you know, and they had, they had the dogs come in and sweep through the village and he was on foot. And, um, they told him like, go this way. And my dad was like, nah, like we'll take the shortcut, you know? And so, you know, you make a wrong decision and now everything goes up into pieces, you know? So now it's like a constant anxiety of like making sure nothing falls apart. Everything is good. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it's hard for them because I think they have a hard time leaving room for like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's just like leaving room for like flow, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but I think they just really in general have a hard time going back to civilian life, you know, like yeah. that. I see that in my dad so much. And it's a hard transition to, you know, fighting, you know, for our country and fighting for freedom. And then, you know, taking that one wrong turn, like my, uh, my dad was psychological operations. So his main job was to mess with your mind. Right. (laughs) And so he, they had cleared the, they were working on clearing a village. There were um, some IDs already blown in place and some that were identified. Right. And an Afghani walked up to him and uh, said, I know where one is. And so my dad spun him around. So he would follow in this man's footsteps and he ended up stepping right on one. And then it was like, you know, you go from that mentality of fighting and, um, doing your job job and doing your duty. And then you're like, okay, well now I'm not doing that. And how do I transition back into a life where I can't even really work anymore? Like I can't hold a job. And my dad was a correctionals officer in the Cuyahoga Cuyahoga County jail. (laughs) And so he, you know, when he was not doing his army um, duties because he was army reserve, right, he was right. in the correctional op- uh, correctional officer. So it was like, you know, you had those two intense jobs and then you can't do them anymore because of one step. Right. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. I think I've talked to my dad about this a lot. Um, 
And, and I brought it up to him because obviously since I was eight years old, I, it's going to sound crazy, but as a psychology major, this is why I am a psychology major. Yeah. I had to analyze his behavior pretty much, you know, my entire life. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things going on mentally in all the relationships mentally in the family between my mom and my dad, between the mom and the kids, you know, everything because of the trauma, you know, it's complex trauma, you know? So I was talking to him and I was like, dad, I think part of the reason, cause he knows that he has PTSD. Right. And we've talked about it and it came a long time before, you know, he would admit it, you know, cause before it's not even a thought like, Oh, I don't have PTSD. Like he doesn't even believe he has TBI. <laughs> like, <laughs> like dad, you stepped on a bomb. Of course you're going you to really do TBI. Like the doctor said, <laughs> <laughs> like, you, yeah, have TBI. you have That's TBI. That's it. Right. Right. And, um, he was like, I just don't understand why I'm having such a hard time. Like with, you know, the PTSD and making sure not everything is perfect. And I was like, well, I think part of it is that it was taken away from you without your, you thought that you were going to retire, you know, everything was in right. your, you thought you were going to leave country right, on your own. Right, will. right. Exactly. And that decision to leave and to stop your job was just taken from you. You know what I mean? You didn't have the time to be like, okay, I'm getting out of the army. You know what I mean? Where most guys do like they go through the year, you know what I mean? Like, okay, I'm about to get out, you know, whatever. No, it was, this was cutthroat. You're, you're straight up. You're done. You're done. And now you're like, well, I was just trained, you know, one of the most elite soldiers in the world, you know, that's my literal job. That's all I know. And now like, I can't even stand up to go to the bathroom. Right. So it's, I think even now he's still struggling trying to, you know, work through that thought. And I would be too. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are little things that he's doing to try and keep him. I know that oftentimes he'll do like lectures or he'll teach, um, certain like classes, like the 18 Delta course classes, or like he'll just teach combat trauma and stuff. Um, which helps him kind, but also it's like, does that keep you in that lifestyle? You know what I mean? Yeah. Making it harder to transition into like, what is normal life, you know? Um, but I think, I don't know. I think some of the men just find purpose in it. You know what I mean? So it's just a matter of like, Oh, well, what is my purpose now? You know? And I think one of the hardest things, too, is finding that after because you didn't have the option to leave the army. You didn't have the, you know, my dad got injured in November. He deployed in August. So he was only in Afghanistan for four months. So out of a 400 day deployment, that wasn't long. He wasn't there long. And so um, it's hard to say okay, I have to leave an entire community that, you know, I built this whole military community around you because we moved somewhere that we are about two hours away from the nearest military installation. Right. So that even makes it harder 
especially as a child who I was born into the military life. My dad got out, had a seven year break in service, and then he got back in. And so I really didn't have much time as a military child, right? but like I've been through it like, and people well, are right, like, right, right. You don't know what it is. And I'm like, no, I do know what it is. Like, let me tell you, I lived a different military child lifestyle than, right, right. you know, than you did as, you know, an active duty child because right. we were reserved. So that's one, a different lifestyle to begin with because I didn't move much. And then it's the you know, your dad retired right. at, after 20 years. My dad retired after just under 12 because he was injured. Right. So, you know, you have these different lifestyles and then because I didn't have much time in, you know, being surrounded by a military community, it's like you're automatically taken from it after that. And you're like, well, where did it all go? Like, I know it's out there, but you have where to really you? search for it. Right, right. Yeah, I I think, see, my family moved um, back to North Carolina after living in Washington, D.C. for like two years, because that's pretty much how long we were there doing PT and stuff, um, trying to get him to walking again. But because his injury is so high up on one leg, walking on a prosthetic, because they basically made a bucket for Mm -hmm. his hip, you know what I mean? And it's just, you know, that when you're walking with the leg, you kind of have to swing your hip, you know, in order yes. to get that leg over. And if you don't have that femur, you have to swing your whole leg around higher like body. And it's just right. a lot. So we were there for two years. And then my dad was finally just like, I can't do this. Like, I'd rather just be in a wheelchair because this is too painful. And, and it's kind of upsetting when a lot of people ask me like, well, why doesn't your dad like walk in prosthetics? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why does he has like prosthetics? Why doesn't he use them? It's like, you don't understand that. Yes, that there are prosthetics, but do you know that the prosthetics don't just work on their own? You know what I mean? Like you have to put a lot of physical effort into that and it hurts, you know, especially when you have shrapnel and nerve pain and everything like that. Um, so there's that. I forgot what I was, where I was getting to with this. <laughs> oh, we were talking about, um, yeah. And we got back home after two years of him trying to, you know, learn how to walk. And then he was like, no, I'm not doing this. And then we moved near Fort Bragg, which is, yeah. you know, the biggest military base on the East coast. Exactly. And every single one of my friends is a military child, more specifically army children, you know? So it's like really, really interesting being able to talk to everybody and be able to pick out the clear cut, like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, we all experienced a certain trauma as a kid, but everybody has their own, you know, military kind of trauma. Not every, like not every military child's life is going to be the same. Just like, even though you have also an amputee father, like our stories are still different, you know? Exactly. And like, we went to Texas, you guys went to Walter Reed, right? like, you know, there's so many different things that cross where it's different. Like you were eight, I was nine. So we were similar age. So like, we kind of have that similar thing there of, you know, living for the past 10 or 11 years with the injury 
And yeah, it's just, it can be so similar, but so different at the same time between any military child. Right. And that's why I think it's so important that, I don't know, I feel like when they try and attack military children's like mental health and when they try and come up to and try and figure out how to fix it, they all look at it like it's like one big same thing. You know what I mean? And I feel like it's so important that we like... When I was younger, when our, when my dad was in the military, it was never really an idea to be like, be being seen. I, you know, I feel like as a psych major, that therapy is something that like everybody should do. You know what I mean? I don't think that therapy is just something for like people who deal with mental illness. Of course, people who deal with mental illness will benefit from therapy, but like everybody undergoes trauma, you know what I mean? Right. So you don't necessarily have to experience maybe something as extreme as we did in order to experience like this military child trauma, you know? And I feel like a lot of those kids go unnoticed with kids who maybe didn't have a parent get blown up or pass away, they still underwent the fear, you know, right. Any deployment not coming back or like being on the phone with them and maybe hearing something scary that, you know, like different things like that. And, um, I don't know. It just, it makes me sad because I wish, and in all ways, all the time, I'm wishing like, oh, I just wish mental health advocacy and like the betterment of people's brains and the mental health of everybody was just uplifted more often, you know, because I feel like it would make such a difference. And the thing too is to understand a military child, to understand a military spouse, to understand the service member, right. you have to live the life. Exactly. and civilians from the outside most of the time come in and they're like oh we understand you we understand you we understand you we understand what you go through and it's like no you don't right like you have to live the life of a military child to actually understand the life of a military child and if you don't understand it then to a point it's like don't try to help right because you're not going to be able to Exactly. And you end up causing more, more damage in the end. And then you're suffering because someone tried to help and it didn't help. Right. Right. And that's also another big issue is like making sure that those therapists are based, you know, and that's why I'm going into, you know, what I'm going into. And I want to go into PTSD research therapy and everything like that because I've seen the effects firsthand. You know what I mean? I know the effects that it has on somebody. And, you know, even if I ended up going into, you know, therapy for just military children, which I could see me doing that as well. Exactly. Like you were saying, I've been through that. So I can sit there and look at them and be like, look, I get it. I don't understand your exact situation, but I understand what you're feeling for the most part. You know what I mean? And when you don't have somebody who has gone through that and they're just spitting, you know, what they think that they know at you. Yeah, no, it can really be damaging. So yeah, that's a big issue is making sure that the professionals in that field have like undergone that experience. I don't, I think it's very weird when like 
there are military therapists who have nothing to deal with. I've never experienced, you know, being in that situation, you know, it's like, how right. And some people really try to help. Like they really try to understand the situation and what you're going through and they, they know, and they recognize that they'll never understand. Right. And sometimes those can be really good people to have, but then at the same point, it's like, if you don't try to understand, if you don't even, you know, think you understand, then that's where it's, where it can go be hard. Right. Right. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how no greater sacrifice has helped you and your family. Okay. So they started with my older brother. Um, he acted, this is crazy. He actually just graduated, um, from Apache pilot school like two days ago, but they had originally put him through Purdue, um, which was crazy because Purdue's a really big school and it was kind of considered out of state for us. But luckily my family is originally from Northwest Indiana. So we got in-state tuition, um, but they covered him fully for that, put him through pilot school. And, um, he had been wanting to be a pilot since he was so little, like he just loves aviation airplanes and everything like that since he was a little kid. And, um, so it's crazy to see him doing what he wants now. And yeah. it's so amazing that NGS was able to do that for him and pull that through for him. Um, but he was highly inspired his profession. Obviously he's in the army because of my dad. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, so yeah, he's an Apache pilot in the army and now they are focusing on me. Um, and they are putting me through UNC Charlotte and I'm a sophomore now. So I've been doing it for like two years. Um, and uh, NGS is such a blessing. Oh my gosh. I see all my friends who like are struggling with finances, you know, and trying to be a student. And I'm like, Oh oh God. I like, I get anxious just like thinking about it because I'm so blessed to have them there. Like with housing period, like bro, that just takes away so much stress. So, 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 so much stress. And it's like, wow. And school itself, like, what? (laughs) That's that's just crazy. Like I remember when they told me when I was little and when they were talking to Jonathan, because my older brother is seven years older than me. So there was like a big gap before NGS went from him and then finally, you know, came over to me. I remember when they found him, they were like, you know, in seven years, like not in seven years, but seven years after him, you'll be doing the same thing. Exactly. And I was like, what? Like that was never a thought in my head. Like little me being told like, you don't have to worry about anything. I was like, wow, 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 wow. It was just amazing. Even through middle school and like high school Mm -hmm. when everybody's like, you know, freaking out, you know? And I'm like, thank, thank God. What a blessing. What a blessing. But yeah. Um, and then they're about to do, you know, my younger brother as well. So like to have the whole family covered like that. It's yeah. incredible. I, I love Rebecca. Oh my gosh. I do too. She is so awesome. Yeah, she's amazing. And she's always checking up on me and she gets it. She's really one of those. She is. That gets it. Obviously. And if she doesn't, she will do everything she can to get it. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yes, we love Rebecca. We love, you know, all of No Greater Sacrifice. Like, 
you know, and I filled out tons of scholarship applications before I even knew I was going to get no greater sacrifice. And it's like, you know, they're like, we don't even care if you reapply for any of those scholarships. Like we've got you. And I'm like, right. Thank you. Like, you know, it's so much easier to just know that anything like uncovered or something, they're like, we are here for you. We got you covered. Right. Right. I was kind of freaking out because I want to transfer to Colorado Boulder um, because they have a better psych program there and they have just a better PhD program there. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Because my parents always tell me like, well, it's not in state. It's not in state. And I'm like, right. I'm like, you know what I mean? And in state versus out of state is insane. And, And then I have a conversation with Rebecca and Rebecca's just like, girl, don't even worry. I don't want you to even worry about like, if that is the school that you want to go to, like, we want to get you to that school. You know what I mean? And I was like, wow. Yeah. You guys really, really, really care for us. And yeah, it blows my mind every time I have a conversation with her. Um, Yeah. But yeah. (laughs) Yes. So my last question is always the same thing. And it's what piece of advice would you give to another military child? It's like the hardest question I will ever it's ask. It's a hard question. <laughs> um, hmm. <laughs> this is going to sound so cliche, but honestly, on because I have to as a psych major, I was going to say go to therapy. Maybe not straight up go to therapy because you can't. I know not everybody is like, I don't want to go to therapy, whatever. Right. But, but make sure that you focus on you and your family's mental health. That's honestly the one thing because it's so important. It's so, so, so important. There's a lot of trauma that can go left unsaid or, you know, a lot of relationships that can change over time just because of, you know, things that happen because of your, you know, coincidence. Um, But if you focus on your mental health and you focus on your families, you have to make sure that you focus on your mental health first, you know what I mean? Right. Before you can even think about helping your family. Um, But obviously um, it's hard being a military child. And there's a lot of things that go through our head where sometimes I still don't even understand. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but even with what's going on in the news right now, you know, even though it's 10 dec or a decade later, 10 years later, we're sitting here and a lot of us are very, very confused right now. And, um, and it's hard because nobody really knows what to say, you know? And the only thing that I can really even think of is like, you know, focus on you, focus on you, because the more you find out and the more you dig and the more you analyze what made you grow up into the person that you are today, you know what I mean? The more that it's just going to be easier to, you know, flow throughout life and realize that it's okay. And that, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know that it's going to, that it's going to be okay. That it's going to be okay. Because that's all I've ever wanted for somebody to tell me was that it was going to be okay. And it does eventually get okay. I said eventually. (laughs) (laughs) It does become okay. Like, you know, we go through these struggles and, you know, at the point, like 
you know, being nine years old and my mom or my dad already being deployed, my mom then, you know, moving to Texas more or less without us for a month to be with my dad. It's like, is everything actually going to be okay? Is everything going to work out? And then it's like, okay, well, looking back on it, everything did work out. Like, you know, here we're coming on 10 years, but everything has so far worked out. Right, right. And if things don't, then you just got to push through them, you know, and they will be okay. But yeah, it can get hard. It can definitely get hard, especially with the times now. But yeah, we have such a good support system too. And just yes. make sure you have a support system. Like do not go alone. Do not like keep everything inside and like isolate yourself emotionally because that's like the worst thing that you can do. Nobody likes to feel alone and you aren't alone. Exactly. And that's what I've been saying, you know, especially with, you know, these past two weeks, like a lot of my Instagram posts on like the podcast or on even mine, my Instagram and my Facebook and stuff. It's like, don't be alone. Like you cannot, you know, go through this on your own. Like every everyone who has relation to the military is struggling. Like that's just that. That's how it is. That's, you know, civilians are struggling. And like, you know, once the whole world is struggling like this, then you know something's wrong. Wrong, right. And so it's like, don't be alone, especially, you know, people like us who have been through so much. Right. It's like, don't. Like, you're going to go down a spiral and you cannot do that. Right, right. Like you can't. Because the last two weeks, you know, I've what's been going through my head is like, and I'm sure this is the exact same thought that you've had is like, did this thing happen to my family for no reason? Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. But in reality, it's like, no, there's there's purpose through all there of it. There is purpose. Mm-hmm. There is a reason. And like, you know, we have had the news on 24 seven and it, exactly. you know, they kept repeating the same thing, like every, um, service member who was lost in action, everyone, you know, who has sacrificed, you know, even a little bit, like their service was not in vain. Like this has a purpose. This was, you know, we gave freedom for 20 years to these people and 20 years is a lot. 20 years is a very long time, you know? And it's like, even if it's not now, you know, Like, like you said, like we, there are things they did their part and they did all that they could, you know, Yeah. but it's not their, it's not their fault and it's not our fault. And it's, you know, it's just, oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) We just have to like deal with it. And like, right. right. You know, it's hard knowing there's nothing you can do. It's hard knowing that and hard knowing you're you're sitting here and you're like, well, what do I do? Like, what can I do? And it's like, you check can't up do on anything. Your, well, you know, you could check up on your, your service members, you know, and just like yeah. be there for them. I had to, you know, I'm away from my dad right now. Are you away from your, um, no, I live at home. You live at home. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm like two hours from, I'm not that far, but all I could think of like was my dad, you know, throughout the last week. I'm like, dude, I can't, I can't imagine what he's feeling. It's like, I have to send him a text. He was, yeah. when I did, he was like, I felt so much better when you like, 
you know, just reach out to me. You know what I mean? They just want somebody to be there for them. Just like anybody wants somebody to be there for themselves, you know? And I think it's the same way with, you know, of course the veterans are, you know, suffering the most, but then it's like, you got to trickle down the line. Like I've been sending messages to my friends, you know, being like, how are you? Like, are you okay? Like, um, and you know, checking up on everyone, like making sure everyone's okay, because, you know, this isn't something to struggle out alone. And this isn't, this is something that we're all suffering with. And, you know, you can't do that alone. No, no. Cause this is, it's too big. It's too it big is. To go on your own. Yes. But yes. Support systems. Exactly. <laughs> always have that support system and support others as well. Yeah. As much as you can always. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing your story and being here during, you know, this tough and trying time that we're all going through. And, you know, we appreciate you guys and your family. And thank you for, you know, sharing your experience with No Greater Sacrifice and all of that too. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Sorry if I talked in circles. I guess <laughs> when I'm like on stuff like this, I'm like, yeah, I totally butchered this, but it's okay. <laughs> Listen, there's always, you know, sometimes you have to like say things a couple times to right. get your story out there or do whatever. So yeah, yeah. It's just just anxiousness, but it's all good. It's all good. But thank you so much for having me and having yes, me on here. And thank talk. you. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Grace of a Military Child podcast. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to follow, like, share, subscribe, review, and comment. You can also follow us at Grace of a Military Child podcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more podcast-related content. If you or someone you know is a military child who would like to be featured on the podcast, please send us a message to one of our social media platforms or send us an email to grace.of.a.military.child at gmail.com. For more information on No Greater Sacrifice, you can go to nogreatersacrifice.org or send an email to info at Thank you and join us back next week for another inspiring story.